Well, we've been talking uh, in our series, Redeemed, about how uh, we're redeemed from the curse of the law. In fact, you don't need to turn here, but I'm just going to read this to you. Galatians 3, 13, 14, and 29. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And verse 29 goes on, If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What we've been speaking on is Jesus' substitutionary work through God's redemption plan and how Jesus took our place. Jesus became a curse for me. Say it with me. Jesus became the curse for me. All right. In other words, we were all under the curse, and he came in, stepped in, and said, I'll pay that price for them. Why did he do it? Well, he did it so that we could be free from the curse, but not only that, but to bring us around in a position to receive the blessing of Abraham. And what was one of the first blessings of Abraham? Anybody remember? What was one of the first things God did with Abraham? Made him rich, right? The Bible says very rich. Everybody say very rich. Again, this is very rich Trump rich. (laughs) You know, he was very rich. That's one of the first things God promised him. And that blessing is ours. That means God promised to make you rich. Isn't that good news? He promised to make you rich. Now, again, rich doesn't necessarily mean millionaire or billionaire. I really believe that's on you and how far you want to go with things. But he promised to make you abundantly supplied. In other words, you're going to have more than enough. Remember, the Lord is our shepherd. I don't want. Amen? I don't want for anything. Say it with me. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no lack. Amen. You don't lack for anything. Anything. Amen. And then at the end of that, what does it say? And my cup runs over. Amen. What does that mean? There's more than enough. It's spilling out over in my life. I can not only be a blessing to my family, but I can be a blessing beyond. Amen. More than enough. Praise God. Well, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up this series. We've talked about how we've been redeemed from the curse of sickness how we've been redeemed from the curse of poverty. And tonight we're going to look at spiritual death, how we're redeemed and set free from spiritual death. And I, I want everybody to open your Bibles, okay? Everybody open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at the Word of God tonight, all right? We're going to look at some areas and we're going to read quite a bit. But I want you to see something that there's a lot of people that, you know, they, they generally know about these things, but they never really just... Look at the word themselves. Genesis chapter 2. And you remember God creates man, right? And he created woman out of man and uh, basically blesses their socks off. Remember what he tell them? Multiply, right? Uh, go ahead and take dominion over the earth. So we know that man is in a commanding position, isn't he? He's in a position to take over the earth, so to speak. Why? For what purpose? Well, man would develop and grow to honor the Lord, you know, for his glory. And so uh, we see in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to pop right in there, verse 15, Genesis 2. And it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. So what does it say there? Did he have access to every tree in the garden? Right? Every, everybody say every tree. So was God very generous? Right? All of it's yours, Adam. All of it. Now, in verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, how many trees is that? One tree. One tree. You know, almost like tithing. You know what I'm saying? God is going to give you the 90%. He just asked for the 10. Right? God said you can have access to all this, but this one tree, Adam, is off limits. Now let's look at verse 17 again. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? Now, what God said to Adam literally was this. He said, Adam, for in the day that you eat of it, in dying you shall die. That's exactly what Adam heard. All right. Now, what that is, is God told Adam that if he chose to disobey him, if he chose to sin against God, that the curse of spiritual death would overtake him. It would come upon him. Now, I want us to look in the Bible and see when this transpired. Okay, So go over to chapter 3. Go over to chapter 3, and we're going to begin with verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now how many know serpents or snakes don't talk? All right. So who is this? This is the devil um, in the form of this serpent or snake. Right there, I wonder if Adam should have said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. I've met a lot of animals. I named a lot of them and not one of them has talked back to me. All right. He never had a conversation with an animal. Anybody here understand that? Most people read that and just zip right by it. Right there ought to be, hello, something's different here. Something's wrong, okay? Because they're having a conversation with an animal, all right? Now, let's look at the conversation. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Now, I'm going to give you a key into something with the way the devil works. The devil always causes you to question did God really say did God really say is that really what he meant is that really what he said so his first thing is has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden how many know the devil knew better right he said didn't God tell you you can't eat of any tree of the garden now why would he strike a conversation up like that if the devil didn't hear about what God told Adam and Eve, or Adam. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Was the devil sitting by listening? Think about, why would he strike up a conversation about eating on one of the trees if he didn't know that was one of the rules or one of the areas that could be a problem with Adam? (laughs) Think about it for a minute. He was quite aware, all right? So we asked the question, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor you shall touch it, lest you die. I don't remember the Lord saying anything about touching it, do you? Yet, do you see what's happening here? 
the devil sneaks in and he makes her begin to question things, begin to twist things just a little bit. And she begins to, she's fallen into it. Notice she said, she added something. In other words, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. God didn't say anything about touching it. He said, don't eat that particular tree. Notice that. Verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now notice this. Does the devil know something? The devil knows and understands. I want you guys to listen. He understands spiritual death. He is the epitome of spiritual death. He is death. In other words, he is darkness. He is the opposite of everything God stands for. He is the opposite of life. So did the devil know, oh, you guys are going to see things differently after you sin? Did he know that? Absolutely he knew that. He knew what he was talking about. So he twists things. And that's how the devil always works. He twists God's words. He sounds like he's quoting the word of God. He sounds like he's quoting scripture. Except he's got this thing behind it that's going to trap you if you keep on listening and yield to him. And so let's look at verse 5. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. So where was Adam this entire time? Standing right there, watching it happen. Now, the Bible makes it clear later that Adam was not deceived. Eve was. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. All right, He knew what God said about spiritual death, about dying and you'll die. He knew exactly what was happening here, yet he followed Eve anyway. Verse 7, now notice what happens to them. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam And his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Now I want you to notice something And this is where we get into spiritual death. I want you to notice something that happened instantly when they sinned. Instantly when they turned their back on the Lord, so to speak, and decided to go a different way. And it was they listened to what the devil said and did that instead of listening to the Lord. And remember, God made it clear, right? Adam, if you disobey me in dying, you will die. And God has nothing to do with death. So he was talking about what? You'll be separated from me. We will be disconnected. And notice some things. They were both changed instantly, and they knew they were naked. They knew they were naked. So what did they lose instantly? They lost innocence. Instantly. Instantly they were ashamed, embarrassed. 
This is something they were running around naked the whole time. How many of you know a two-year-old running around naked? Nothing wrong with it, is it? Nothing. Why is that kid that way? Uninhibited completely. Unashamed. Because it has not lost its innocence. It has no shame. You understand what I'm saying? It has none of that. Dear Lord, that's what we need to live in. I'm not saying we run around naked, guys. All right? I'm saying that we can live unashamed, uninhibited with the Lord, not without fear, without any kind of fear. Now, the second thing is that they were afraid instantly. Fear instantly began to rule their lives. They were fear-dominated. And then Adam blames Eve. So what do we call that? Lying, backstabbing, gossip, unfaithfulness. Notice all these characteristics that show up like that the moment they're disconnected from the Lord. Think about that. Their complete nature changed. They were totally different people. Their behavior was absolutely changed just like that because they were separated from life. And now they were overtaken by spiritual death. And we see it. They were afraid. They never had fear before. Never. Never. They were never ashamed. Never embarrassed. All their needs were met. Everything was good. And now all that stripped away. Instantly. Why? Spiritual death took over. That's why spiritual death is, well, it's a bad thing. I don't know how else to say it. It's the separation from the life of God. Now, I want to look at death. We can't talk about spiritual death without talking about death, okay? So in talking about death, before we get there, it's important that we remember that man is a spirit, right? He possesses a soul, which is his mind, will, and emotions, and he lives in a physical body. A reference for that, if you want to write it down, is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. The spirit of man is eternal, and his soul is connected to his spirit. And the body that you and I live in right now is just a temporary house that allows someone to live in this physical world. If you do not have a physical body, you're not allowed to live on planet Earth. All right? Now, that's why, and I'm not trying to get way out here, but this is why demons like to seek out a host. They can't manifest, they can't do something in this physical world, in other words, without someone yielding to them. Which, believe it or not, you know, out of the whole entire world, there's probably very, very few people who are demon-possessed. And they're the ones that yielded to it, okay, and allowed that to happen to them. Most people just let their flesh rule them. <laughs> in other words, there's, we all could have, to some degree, opportunities where our flesh wants to do what our flesh wants to do and the devil's there to help it (laughs) the devil's there to push it along okay but he's not he can't force you to do anything okay even to be honest with you even a demon possessed man or woman still has a will in other words no one can say the devil made me kill that person dismember them i don't know where i went with that but you know I'm trying to make it extreme. He can't say, well, the devil made me do it. Even if they were demon-possessed, they still had a will. They still chose to do it. They just yielded to that on the inside. All right? Well, the fact is, 
is that if you're on this planet, you must have a physical body. No physical body, you can't be here anymore. That's why Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.8, if you want to write it down, he said to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So in other words, if somebody blows a hole through your body, what's going to happen? You're out of here. Your spirit is, can't stay here. It's not allowed to be here without your physical body. All right? And so uh, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but we need to remember that when we think about death, it helps us to understand what's going on. Let's take it a step further. Go with me in your Bibles. I want everybody to look with me to Luke chapter 16. I also want you to find John chapter 8 and just stick something in there. John 8, but go to Luke 16. Luke 16, and then stick something in John 8 just to help us move along. I think it's important for us to see this because people will ask you these things. And if you know where they are and can explain it, it it will help you be a blessing to someone else. Luke 16. Now, you guys all remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? Now, something I want to make a point here. The Lord prompted me. I don't want you to think for one moment that the rich man is evil because he's rich and he's going to hell. And Lazarus, because he was poor and had a difficult time on earth, therefore he gets to go to Abraham's bosom in a nice safe place, all right, or paradise, all right? Sometimes people can interpret that way. Well, the rich man got what he deserved. And Lazarus, he was so beaten up on the earth, he should rejoice in the afterlife. He should be lifted up. It's not that case at all. It's just giving us an illustration of two people, okay? And where they were in their state of affairs before they died and after, okay? All right? So Luke 16, let's start with verse 19. Everybody read with me. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and in fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died. So what happened here? The beggar died. Everybody say, the beggar died. Now, notice what the scripture says. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. What part of him was carried? His body is still wherever he died. But notice, angels came, probably the ones that were around him all the time, and transitioned him, okay, from his body, pulled him out of his body, and brought his spirit and soul to Abraham's bosom, okay, or what we would call paradise, all right? Uh, And all that was for those of you like, okay, what's this paradise, Abraham's bosom, what's going on here? Well, remember, there were people who believed in God, right? But were they born again in the Old Testament? No. Does everybody have to be born again to be connected to the Lord? Absolutely. So in other words, God created a place, okay? Uh, Remember when Jesus was on the cross? And remember one of the thieves repented? Remember? And basically what the guy was saying is, I believe in you, and I'm sorry for what I've done. And what did Jesus say? This day you will be with me in paradise. Okay, this day. Now, paradise is in heaven, 
Paradise is Abraham's bosom or a place, okay, that they would wait until the day that they would have the opportunity to receive Jesus and then they would go to heaven. Everybody follow me? All right, so that place, Abraham's bosom, no more. All right, empty. (laughs) All right, paradise is gone. Now there's only two places to go, (laughs) hell or heaven, okay? All right, because why? We all have the opportunity to receive Jesus now. All right, so let's continue to read here. Verse 22, uh, Luke 16. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23. Now notice what I'm trying to point out is he was buried. So where is his body? In the earth, right? Left here. And verse 23 talking about the rich man. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So he's talking about Abraham's bosom or or paradise. Verse 24, the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now, there's some very important points I want you to see here. First of all, where are their bodies? Their bodies are still in the earth, right? Both of them, okay? But their spirits and their souls went to two places that they could see each other. There was a great chasm, okay, if you read in the Bible where one couldn't get to the other, all right? You got Hades and you have Abraham's Uh, bosom or paradise and they could see one another they could even talk across this chasm of one another but you could not cross one another talk about torture can you imagine these guys in hades could see them and there's no hope at this point all right but anyway i want you to notice a few things that are very important notice that the rich man and lazarus still recognize each other Does your spirit look like your body? Very similar. In other words, if we were in heaven and I didn't have this physical body, you'd recognize me. You'd say, oh yeah, that's Ken. You know, I mean, you would know me. So what I'm trying to say is heaven or the spirit realm is very, very tangible and real. Notice that what was it like where the rich man was? He was being tormented in flame. He was hot. He was dry. He wanted thirst. In other words, it wasn't going away, was it? He was always hot, always felt like he was on fire, always thirsty. You know what I'm saying? And all he could be reminded of is the choices he made. He didn't have to do this. He could have gone another way, but he didn't. You know. But my point is that you could feel, touch, you could smell, you could see. All these things in the spirit realm are real. They're tangible. We're not just floaty things. You know what I'm saying? The spirit world is more real. The physical world is a lesser version, if you will, of the, phys- of the spirit w- world. But sometimes we think of spirit, we think of everything just being sometimes uh, not normal. Not <laughs> like we wouldn't have chairs. Why are we sitting? Couldn't we just float? You know? 
I mean, this story that Jesus gives us gives us a vivid illustration of what it's really like. This is the realm that's kind of the, the uh, lower version, the not-as-good version, okay, so to speak, of what we really are, who we really are. But notice he could feel, he could touch. Um, but also notice this, the heart of who Lazarus really was in the heart of the rich man is revealed. What did the rich man say? He treated Lazarus like the lower class citizen he was on the earth. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to come give me water. What does that tell you about the rich man? That his arrogant attitude, that is his attitude of being served and he's lower class than me, carried all the way. What does that say about the heart of man and who man really is? You know, if you took a bunch of people, we've heard this, and put them in like a big building or like a club, and that club all of a sudden gets locked down and you set it on fire, you find out what people are really about and what's really inside them. And most of them that are not believers, that are not Christians, they'll kill each other. They will literally kill each other. Why? They're deathly afraid of death because they don't know where they're going. Doesn't the Bible say that you and I who have life, we're not afraid of death. I'm not a, I have no fear of death. I know whom I am and who I belong to. Amen? I'm free from that. I don't have to be concerned about that at all. That's why you and I, if we were in the same situation, would be calm and help one another. You may not like being in that situation, but you would be helpful. But other people would claw and stampede one another. And who cares if you die? What about me? (laughs) You know, there's a big difference. What I'm saying is, even in the spirit realm, the attitude, the nature of man is revealed. And the rich man is still who he was on the planet earth. His spirit, remember, didn't change. His attitude was the same. That's really interesting when you notice that. Now, there are three different types of death that I want to focus on the Bible talks about. So if you're taking notes, first is spiritual death. The second is physical death. And the third is eternal death. Or we could call the second death. Spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. Spiritual death is what took hold of Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, guys, they opened it up to the entire human race. In other words, we were born into it, okay, in this fallen condition. Physical death is the manifestation of spiritual death. In other words, what I'm trying to say is physical, spiritual death leads to physical death. Adam and Eve were not designed to die. God never planned for death. Death was never a part of God's plan. Death had nothing to do with them. Adam and Eve would have lived how long? Forever. Forever. I mean, in their physical bodies. And they had access to the tree of life. Remember? God had to cut that booger off later. When they were in their fallen condition, what did God do? God moved them out of the Garden of Eden. And remember, he put a flaming sword 
to protect the garden, the tree of life. Why? Some people say, how could God do that? How could He turn His back? That was the mercy of God. Can you imagine being in that sinful, fallen state and spiritual death took hold and with all that, you could live forever by accessing the tree of life in that fallen state? That's hell, guys. That's what hell is. Hell is cancer eating your body and you feeling the pain of it forever and ever and ever and ever. So it was God's mercy that pushed them out of the garden. I'm telling you, God's a good God. There's a lot of things we read in the Bible that looks like God is mean, but how many of you know sometimes parents do things that seem like they're mean, but it's really out of a heart of love and compassion seeing the future. You know what I'm saying? Well, God sees everything. And so he pushed them out for the benefit of mankind, not to keep us from something. Amen? God is so good to us. Now, again, physical death was never a part of God's plan. Spiritual death brings about physical death. Remember, what did God say to Adam? If you disobey me in dying, you will die. Meaning spiritual death is going to take hold and death will take hold. Eventually, it would lead to physical death. Now, we do anybody here know anybody who's lived over 900 years? But didn't Adam? Why did it take so long for Adam to die? Because spiritual death just started. Spiritual death has worked a wonder since, hasn't it? We, I mean, people are not living <laughs> some ridiculous amount of time anymore. And no, it's, what, what did we notice? They started living here, and it got here, and here, and here, and here, and here, and here. And finally, God said, that's it. I'm going to go as far as I'm going to go. I will allow man to go to 120 years. Did you know that's a promise from God's Word? You can go 120 120. A lot of people quitting at 87 or a lot earlier than that, you know, when you can keep on going if you want to. Amen. Moses is 120. His eyes weren't dim. Amen. He's still sharp, still doing his thing. That's available to you and me. Now, that is the second death. And death is called an enemy. It's an enemy of us. It's an enemy of God. Thirdly, there is eternal death or the second death. And that is the ultimate finality of death. And what I mean is, this is where the eternal home of the spiritually dead will live forever and ever and ever and ever. And it is really hard for us to grasp the idea of eternity. Yeah, yeah, I know the word, but I don't think we do. (laughs) If we did, we'd reach out to every single person out there. You would not want your friend or relative to go to hell. When you get a hold and a revelation of eternity... And you think of hell, separation from God, you, your heart goes out and you really, really want. I remember the first time I had a real revelation of that. I was about 15 years old and I was actually sent out here in Oklahoma to try to straighten my life out a little bit. And while I was here, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, was able to begin to speak with other tongues, and I began to see some things I never saw before. And one of the things I understood was getting the revelation of is eternity between heaven and hell. So the very next day, I remember, it was weighing on me so hard about some of my friends, so I called up some of my friends and pleaded with them to get born again. I didn't want to see them go to hell. 
I knew it was real. This is real. It's not a game. You know, we can just kind of float through life and forget about it sometimes. We're so busy and we're not stopping and thinking that that per- how many how many people die every day. And so we need to stop and think all these people that they say are dying that are going to die over the next let's say couple of years that you might have access to you may have made a difference between where they spend eternity. That's a big deal. Amen. It's a very big deal. Something I ought to minister on and focus on just to stir us up. To think about that when we see people. Amen? Now, as we see these three types of death, what we see here in spiritual death, essentially, a better way to describe it is separation from God. Separation from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, spiritual death took over. They were separated instantly from the life of God. In other words, there was this chasm. Man could no longer connect with God any longer, could no longer communicate, could no longer fellowship with God anymore, separated from God. Well, man's nature, as we looked at, changed instantly when spiritual death took hold, and fear instantly began to dominate Adam and Eve and mankind as a whole. This whole world operates by fear. And if you really stop and think about it, decisions are made by fear. Fear of not enough money. Fear of this, fear of that, fear of this, fear of that. Motivate us, push us, move us in this world. And that is not right. Praise God, we're in this world, but we're not of it. Amen? Now, Adam and Eve, when they listened to the devil and sinned, Satan became their spiritual father. You see, there are only two spiritual kingdoms or two families There's God's family and there's the devil's family. And you either belong to one or the other. Man was separated from God with no way to get back to him. I want to look at a scripture with you. I told you to stay in John 8. I want to press this issue real quickly about the spiritual families. In John chapter 8, look with me at verse 44. Jesus was talking to a bunch of religious guys, okay? And he was giving them the truth. All right, And he said this, you, John 8, 44, Jesus speaking, you are of your father, the devil. Now, do you think Jesus is speaking literally? He's not metaphorically speaking, guys. He's saying this straight out. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. What does that tell us about our spiritual nature? Our spiritual nature is dictated by who is our spiritual father. And so if, you're, uh, uh, if God is your spiritual father, the nature, the desire in your heart is different than those outside, all right? Or outside uh, the life of God. Theirs is going to be dictated by the desires of their father. And now look, uh, Satan, now look, look what he says here. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So Satan here is called the father of lies. Now man's fallen nature is that of Satan. Man's fallen nature is that of Satan. Man by nature 
cheats, lies, deceives, steals, murders, kills, so on and so forth. Think about this for a minute. Adam and Eve blow it, right? And they become spiritually dead, all right? Cut off from the life of God, taking on the very nature of Satan. And what is one of the first things their two kids do? One murders the other. Just one generation, and we already have murder. And where does it go from there? By Genesis chapter 6, the earth is so wicked, so vile, that remember that the thoughts and imaginations, the intents of man's heart was so wicked all the time, God had to do something drastic to fix this mess. Because it went so bad so quickly. And so what did he do? He destroyed the entire earth, except one family. One family. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's how far things had gotten in such a short amount of time. Now, the point I'm making is we need to understand our spiritual nature within our family determines who we are. What we needed is a redeemer. Man needed a redeemer. Now, I want you to understand this. Man needs a savior to change his very nature. And what I mean by that is, I want everybody to listen closely. Don't read anything. Listen closely. If a man just behaved good, then he is just a sinner who behaved good. Do you understand what I said? If we could just behave good, then and that was enough to do things, well, then who would need a Savior? But the fact is, just because I behave good or do my best doesn't change my nature. It doesn't change my spiritual father. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just a do-good and sinner. <laughs> I didn't really change. I just outwardly did something. Isn't that what religion is all about? outward behavior modification i'm going to do certain things to earn something to do something right but the fact is that's the point that's why we need jesus if a sinner acts like a good person he's still a sinner let me put it this way i keep my car in the garage so if i move my car out and i sleep where the car was does that make me a car no, I'm still who I am, right? No matter where I'm at, whether I'm in Australia or I'm here, I'm still who I am, right? So we need to look deeper into the heart of man. I want you guys to listen to the statement and listen closely. You ought to write it down. We don't go to heaven because we're good. We don't go to heaven because we're good and we don't go to hell because we're bad. We don't go to heaven because we're good. And we don't go to hell because we're bad. You see, our standing spiritually is not based on whether we are good or bad, but on what family we belong to. And that is something that sometimes is hard to get across to someone when you're talking to them about the Lord. Let me give you an illustration, okay? There are many people that know they need Jesus. You may have talked with him. And you try to tell him, hey, why don't you come to church? Or why don't you come to church and give your life to the Lord? You know, 
He can help you. He can fix things. And they might respond like this. Well, I think what I'll do is I'll clean up some of my life. And then I'll come to church and receive Jesus. So they're not, they're not discounting the fact that, yeah, I need the Lord, but I need to fix a few things in my life. I need to get rid of a few habits before I come to church and receive Jesus. Now, what they're missing is the very point is that you really can't change your life without Jesus. But you changing a few things is acting like you have something to do with salvation. Remember, what is salvation? A free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to do something to get you closer. Salvation is something to what? Just be received as you are. As you are. You are a sinner separated from the life of God. And what I'm doing is I'm coming before God, acknowledging myself as a sinner, and I want to receive the sacrifice Jesus made for me. And I declare Him Lord. And I believe he was, that, that the Father raised Him from the dead. And I believe with my heart and say with my mouth, now what happens? That my spirit is now reborn. Can't explain it. Don't understand it. Personally, don't care to explain it. Figure it out. There's a lot of things about God I don't get. But somehow... In that moment of time when I did that and believed in my heart and said with my mouth and declared the Lordship of Jesus, my spirit was absolutely transformed and I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am no longer a sinner. You know, you've heard songs like, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You can't be a sinner saved by grace. You're either saved by grace or you're not. You understand that? I was listening to some, it was probably some old Christmas special, and they were singing a song in church about how I'm just a rot gut worm sinner. Thank the Lord for saving me. Either you're a sinner or you're saved by grace. Right? Say it with me. I am no longer a sinner. I am saved by grace. I'm a child of God. I don't belong to the devil anymore. Amen? I'm not part of that. Why? My spiritual nature, the family in which I belong to, has changed. I went from spiritual death to spiritual life. You know that Jesus did the same thing. Remember when he was on the cross? And remember he cried out to the Father? Remember? Why have you forsaken me? Well, what happened to Jesus? He became separated from God on our behalf, except he didn't deserve it. <laughs> he was taking our place, our substitute, and he was separated from God. And the devil thought he had him, and, <laughs> and demons brought his spirit to hell, and they had this huge party, but guess what? Three days later, what happened? God the Father said, it's enough. He's paid the price. And the Holy Ghost reached down into hell. And what did he do? The Bible says Jesus was the first ever to be born again. His spirit was made completely new. And that's why he is the first of the brethren begotten of God, born of God. Amen? He's our big brother. And when he was raised up, what happened? 
we were raised up in Him into new life, no longer slaves of sin and death, no longer under the power and dominion of Satan. We're free. We're free. Amen. Isn't that good news? We're free. Say it with me. I'm free. You are absolutely free from any of the dominion of darkness. Amen? Now listen, real quickly, I want to go with me to John chapter 3. We're going to real fast look at some scriptures, okay? Work with me real quick. John 3, 16. Remember, just like man was connected spiritually to life and then cut off, man's spirit can be reborn. His nature can change. In other words, we can go from death to life. That's what happens when someone gets born again. John 3, 16 and 17. Look with me real quick. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. What does that mean? The life of God being saved from death. Look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Saved from what? Spiritual death. Now real quickly, go to John 10.10. John 10.10. Just go over a few chapters real fast. John 10.10. I just want us to read these really quick. John 10.10. The first part, of course, talks about the devil stealing, killing, and destroying in John 10.10. But the last part, what did Jesus say? Look with me. I have come that they may have what? Life. What are we talking about here? Spiritual life. We're talking about reconnected with God. That's why Jesus came. And that they may have it more abundantly, meaning overflowing in our life. So what is Jesus saying? I have come for what reason? To bring you back to God. To set you free from sin and death. Now go with me to John 5, real quick. John chapter 5. Verse 24, I really like this. John 5, 24. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Look what it says. And shall not come into judgment, but is passed. What does it say? From death into life. From spiritual death into spiritual life. Amen. That's you and me. We've passed from death to life. How do we know we love our brothers? Because we what? Passed from death to life. The love of God is in us. Amen? We're different than we were at one time. Amen? There's things about you. Your nature has changed. You can't just do anything. You ever notice that? Pricks your conscience all the time. Digs you all the time. You can't just say anything, watch anything, do anything. Why? Because your nature has changed. But you can take a sinner. There was a time in your life before you received Jesus, man, you could almost about do anything and it not bother you too bad. You know, other than what your mom and dad might have told you. You know what I'm saying? For the most part, you could get past it. It didn't bother you that much. I could, yeah, yeah, it's bothering me a little bit, but I can live with it. You know what I'm saying? I can move past this. But you notice when you got born again, things are different now. You're miserable if you're not connected to the Lord. Have you noticed that? When you sin and you mess up, you're miserable until you get it right. Why? Because the life of God is in you. And it's unnatural for you not to be in communion with the Lord. 
It's unnatural. It isn't right. It's like, you know, our relationship with the Lord is like a fish in water. (laughs) You know, the fish has to stay in the water to be normal. But when you and I sin, it's like we're sticking out of the water trying to breathe in air. It doesn't work very well, does it? Amen? And I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but I can't sin and just stay there. I can't do it. And I know, I know. Pastor, you mean you sin? On occasion, you know, I've messed up, I've blown it. But the fact is, is that I can't, I just can't stay there. It's just not in me. I want to get right with my Father. Amen? The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen? It's just something in me. I want to be close to my Father. I feel better when I'm close to Him. Amen? I want to read a scripture to you and then we'll end. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, the Amplified says, The Father has delivered and drawn us to Himself out of the control, the dominion of darkness, and has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have our redemption through His blood, which means the forgiveness of sins. You know what that is? That's the new creation. That we are no longer under the dominion and sold under sin and bound by the devil in darkness. But we've been brought out of that and the Father delivered us and put us in His kingdom. Amen? That's why we can say, sickness and disease, you've got no part in me. I'm redeemed. In fact, sometimes you need to say it in the past tense. <laughs> All right, I want you to say this confession with me. You know the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, right? What does that mean? Confess that you're redeemed. Right? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. Say it with me. I'm redeemed. Say, we are free in Christ. We are redeemed from the curse of the broken law. We've been freed. Notice, we have been. Notice how I said that. We have been. We have been. We have been freed from poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. Satan has no dominion over us. We are blessed with the blessing of Abraham. Amen. I'm free from that. That's how you need to look at sickness and disease. Ew, you got nothing to do with me. How many of you guys would just go wallow in mud and just stay that way and go to bed? No, what would you do? You'd take a shower, get cleaned up, right? Stick your clothes in the wash, you know what I'm saying? Well, it's the same thing now. Look at sickness and disease like mud. (laughs) Amen? Poverty, same way. I got nothing to do with that. Amen?